Good morning. I, uh, I'm not the regular pastor here if you're visiting. I am the uh, unofficial parking lot pastor. So uh, that's my credentials, at least for this morning. Uh, I do want to I do a point of personal privilege before I get started. Uh, there's a lot of unsung heroes in this church. And, and the Lord knows who they are, and that's the way it should be. Uh, if, we, if we praise them, then we're still in their glory. So, uh, but I do want to call somebody out you may not have thought of. Uh, Marcia DeGraff, who's not present this morning, does an exceptional job of putting out prayer needs on the Internet. If you're not on her list, you're, you're missing out. Because she is Johnny on the spot, and she, and she puts it out there, and so we can pray for it right then. And I very much appreciate Marsha. I'm going to tell you a quick Marsha story. I, I always have stories. Parker will tell you that. But uh, when I first came here, Don and I first came here, um, we hadn't been here two or three weeks. We had three churches. I, I'm a retired minister from another uh, Reformed denomination. But anyway, we had three churches we were going to visit to see if any of those three would be the one that we needed to attend on a regular basis once, once I was retired, which I was. Uh, this was the first one on the list. I threw the list away after we came here. Uh, but I got to tell you what Marcia said. Marcia invited us out to eat, and we ate at the restaurant, and, and I'm sitting there across the table from her, and I said, look, I, I, I know very little about this church. I said, you've been here a long time. Tell me, uh, tell me about the people. And she, she didn't answer quickly. She, she thought about it for a minute. She said, I guess <clears throat> the best way to say it would be they're the real deal. And I said, nothing you could have said would have impressed me more. You know what I found out? She was right. I'm not saying that to flatter you. I'm saying that to rejoice. Uh, I thank God for you. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're going to be together a long time in another place. So, uh, so I rejoice in sharing eternity with you. I want to suggest real quickly, I didn't clear this with Parker, so he may throw something, but uh, there's, three, there's three books I would like to recommend for you. One is simply called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. It's a thick read. You, it will change your life. It will change your perspective on your eternity, I promise. The second is... The Saving Life of Christ by Major W-E-N-I-A-N Thomas. The Saving Life of Christ by Major W-E-N Thomas, one of my favorite authors, by the way. And the third is one you're probably familiar with, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Look at your catechism. If you're not familiar with the catechisms, you need one. They're not scripture, but they certainly are a help for scripture, so... Encourage with the, with that. All right, let, let's look at our scripture this morning, and then I'll pray. I want you to keep your your fingers in John. Uh, we will hit almost all of of uh, uh, of the topics in John today, uh, in various parts of John. But I'm going to start with John 18. Jesus is being uh, on trial before Pilate. Verse 33, so Pilate entered, entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? 
Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world or from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. But my kingdom, uh, excuse me, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose was I born. Notice this now. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, ready, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, when we leave here today, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will have imparted to our hearts your truth. Uh, I am but a man and prone to failure. Therefore, I ask that you would either speak through me or in spite of me, but in the name of Jesus Christ, to the glory of God the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, speak this morning. We need you. We need to hear from you. We've heard from everyone else all week. We've heard from every other source all week, and most of them very unreliable. But your word is reliable, and you speak the truth. So, Father, speak by your Holy Spirit and your word to us this morning, to your glory. May we decrease and you increase. In Christ's name, amen. Pilate said, what is truth? Now, I'm going to take a long way around before we get to the answer to that. But first of all, since Christians are called to walk in truth, it's important to clarify our mandate lest we fall short, even in the ministry. I heard about that. I don't know if it's true or not. I heard heard, uh, about a minister, a pastor who was leaving church, had his family with him. They were driving home and he was telling his daughter, his young daughter something. And she stopped and she said, Daddy, Daddy, is this the truth or are you still preaching? Well, it makes you think if you're a pastor, it's like, I need to make sure I'm preaching the truth. Not just for my family, but for all who hear. She wanted truth. Pilate's question, what is truth, was rhetorical. We know this in part because Jesus didn't answer. Pilate wasn't expecting an answer. Here's what Pilate was basically saying. Who knows what truth is? Why do you purport to know truth? Who knows what truth is? We live in an information age. 24-7 news cycles, 250 television channels, most books written, available in print or online. I read a statistic that the New York Times Sunday edition contains more information than existed in 1800. That's the time we live in. People go to and fro, and information increases. Yet we know the New York Times, for example, has printed blatant untruths just this year, proving that information is not necessarily truth. For the sake of this sermon, let's let's, uh, amplify what we're talking about and call it foundational truth. Foundational truth. Truth to build on, to live by, or to die by. Such truth cannot be situational truth, temporary truth, fluid truth, or conditional truth. It has to be the truth and stand on its own. Ministers are commanded to preach the truth in love. The truth in love. That's part of our calling. 
And I'm going to give you an example. Here's a sample of the truth in love. Our current economic and political situation is, quote, but a light momentary affliction, per Paul the Apostle, by comparison to the glory beyond all comparison, quote, we are so spoiled by having what we want when we want it that any disruption provokes wailing and gnashing of teeth. Instead of murmuring and complaining, let all in Christ give humble thanks to God for his sovereignty, grace, and blessings. Our peace is spiritual, capital letters, spiritual fruit, not circumstantially dependent. Now that's the truth in love. The truth in love. Now, I want you to hear some timeless truth from the perspective of one who faced real suffering. This is found, and you don't have to turn there, in Habakkuk 3.17. Just listen. Here's his, here's his declaration. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. This was an agricultural time. They lived off the fruit. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls yet. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Now that's truth. And when you accept it, and when you apply it, it will be your foundational truth. What is truth? Well, I went to the several dictionaries, and I was terribly disappointed. Uh, the first dictionary said, truth is conformity to reality. The first question I thought is, whose reality? Another one said, truth is a statement proven to be accepted as true. That's probably the weakest one I found. But again, you would ask, accepted by who? The third one says, adherence to logic is truth. By this point, we're in the real tall weeds so truth shouldn't be this difficult to define. It's not as if we're trying to differentiate between what's a man and a woman. Truth is adherence to logic. That's what they said. Truth is adherence to logic. Can I tell you, from man's perspective, Christianity is the least logical faith concept there is. It's the least logical to tell someone that Almighty God, laying down his life willingly, shedding his blood to redeem his enemies to himself, to adopt them as his children, as heirs in the eternal family, has to be the most illogical underpinning imaginable. Nothing about logic enters into that. Nothing about Jesus leaving his throne in glory, coming down to live as a man, humble himself before man and be persecuted and killed. Willingly laying down his life. None of, that, none of that passes the logic test. Except it is real and it is acceptable and it is truth. Romans 5.10 For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. That's such a good verse. That's such a wonderful verse. We should also determine a source for truth because Jesus told Pilate, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. In John's gospel, under the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit, he mentions truth frequently. I'll give you an example from John 8, 31, 33. 
So Jesus said to the disciples who had uh, believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Before we define truth, let's jump to our next point. Truth brings freedom. Truth brings freedom. Notice that those that Jesus is addressing in John 8, 31 are Jews who have believed on Jesus. And so Jesus declared to these new converts, to know the truth will result in obtaining freedom, and you can do so by abiding and and dwelling and remaining in his word. Jesus said, in my word. Now, he did not say my words. If he had said my words, that could have been restricted to what he said in their presence. But he said, my word, which means everything I said, everything I'm saying, and everything I will say applies to what I'm telling you. You have to abide, to take up residence, to live in my word, my word for freedom. Suggested rule of thumb for someone to consider. All new truth should be viewed with harsh skepticism. When you open up the paper or you turn on the television or whatever, and it's like, new truth. It's like, maybe, maybe. And older truth should be viewed with a grain of salt, including sermons, including this sermon, which is why in Acts 17, God commended the Bereans for verifying with Scripture what Paul said. When a man stands before you and says, Thus saith the Lord, I hope you go home and say, Did God say that? Let's see. Go in the Word. Verify. Confirm. For more than one reason. One reason being, after hearing it with your ears and seeing it with your eyes, it will be a double confirmation in your spirit. Very important. Biblical truth can be embraced for wholeheartedly and lavishly applied. Yes, because it stood the test of time. But most importantly, because God's word is just that. It's God's word. It's God's word. And yes, the Bible is inerrant and infallible only in its original autograph. But whatever version you have can be trusted implicitly with your here and your hereafter. Any so-called errors are mere transcriptional mistakes and do not, I repeat, do not in any way dilute or discredit your faith and walk with Christ. Scripture is absolute truth, which is vital because foundational truth must be absolute, it must be unchangeable and eternal to save our souls. The Bible then is our standard for truth. Let me illustrate what a standard is. If I passed out to the congregation this morning a pencil and a piece of paper and said, I want you to draw a six-inch long crooked line on that paper, I assure you no two will be the same. Some will be eight inches, some will be four, some will be across the page, some will be restricted to the... It doesn't matter. They'll all be different. If I say draw a six-inch crooked line. However, if I hand each of you with that pencil and paper a ruler and say, now, draw me a six-inch straight line, your, your drawings will be almost identical. Why is that? Because we have a standard. We have a standard. The Word of God is the standard that we have for life. It's the standard we have for truth. For truth. 
The same applies to truth. We're all bombarded with semi-truths, half-truths, false truths, opinions, lies, and statistics, meaning the statistic that I gave you about the New York Times in the 1800s may or may not be true. Who you trust for news reporting will shape your perspective on an event. Therefore, we must choose our sources of truth based on absolute truth. All news sources can be wrong, but not all can be right, and some are seriously crooked. Your standard of truth will determine your, your world view. Or as C.S. Lewis, Lewis said it this way, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. There's your worldview. Your worldview on any topic, on any situation, should be viewed through the lens of the Scripture of God. Say, so is this true, or are you still preaching? Let me just step aside for a second just to tell you something you probably don't know. Are you, do you not wonder, have you not wondered at least once, why the people of Russia do not rise up and throw Putin out, Putin, whatever his name is, out, and uh, uh, because of this war in Ukraine, can I tell you why? Because he has wrapped up more than 90% of all media and is controlling more than 90% of all information coming into Russia right now. And he's telling the people, they started it. This is a righteous endeavor. You need to back me. And over 60% of the Russians are backing him. Why? They're, they're believing what is not true. They're believing what is not true. So pray about that also. Next point. Truth brings worship. And I'm going to address points one, two, and three in reverse order. Stay with me. Worship, salvation, freedom. To tie these together, I want you to open your Bibles, turn in your Bible, turn the pages to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, where Jesus is speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well. John chapter 4. And once you get there, stay there, because we're going to come back to it in a minute. Jesus says to her in verse 23, she's talking about, well, you worship, you're a Jew, you worship over here, and we worship over there. Jesus says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So two times in two verses, Jesus says spirit and truth. And he gives an imperative, must worship. If you are this morning worshiping God, and we have worshiped God this morning, and we will worship God this morning. If you are doing so, you must do it in spirit and in truth. First of all, point to be made. The ESV is a pretty good translation but they do not capitalize the word spirit here, and they should. Don't take my word for it. Look it up. To worship God as God requires, we can only approach God as directed by His Holy Spirit. That's the truth. Jesus said in John 16, 13, when the Spirit, capital letter, Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Notice all that in the description of the Holy Spirit, because I grew up thinking the Holy Spirit was an it. 
I was wrong about other things too, but I, I, I believe the Holy Spirit was in it. But listen, he said all these different times, he says, he, he, his, he, he. Just to make a point, God does not slumber or sleep, so he doesn't need to be woke. Those are the right pronouns. Prefaced by Holy Spirit conviction and repentance, worship of God induces freedom. Freedom arrives through surrender to God's call by His Holy Spirit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. John 8, 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So what about truth? I'm so glad you asked. Jesus confirms the second point. In John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, Parker prayed it in his prayer. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, what was that second part? The truth. Jesus says, if you want to know the way, I am the way. Do you want to know what life to live? I am that life. By the way, I am the truth. I'm not a truth. I am the truth, which changes everything when Jesus says, I am the truth. Therefore, access to God in salvation, worship, or service is only possible in Jesus Christ. And he told us that at the same time he identified himself as the truth, which is exceptionally important in this entire sermon, but also for the second part of what Jesus told the woman at the well. Look again at John 4, 23 and following. But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. You ready for this? Genuine worship of God is possible only through His Holy Spirit and through His Son, Jesus Christ. Spirit, Holy Spirit, truth, Jesus Christ. How do you worship God? By the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. And that's the truth. See, Pilate had the syntax wrong. He asked the wrong question. He might have got the right answer. When he said, what is truth? He should have said, who is truth? And Jesus would have said, present. What was Jesus telling the woman at the well? What was he telling the Jews who believed in him? And what is he telling us today? He's the truth. And for those Jewish converts, he just said, and I'm paraphrasing, when you know me, you will be set free. When you know me, when you know the truth, when you know me, you will be set free. He said to the woman at the well, again, I'm paraphrasing based on the Greek words, to worship God as God requires means approaching His throne through the Holy Spirit and through me. And through me. And to us today, Jesus is saying, utilizing Ephesians 1.13, In me, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in me, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. I just told you through Scripture that you as a Christian, a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ, are 100% equipped to worship God through Jesus and the Holy Spirit because you got both of them. That's such good news.
ask as we carry God's word in our hands and it rests on our bedside tables, where can we find truth? God's word. Hear the voice of God the Father whisper today. Get this in your spirit. I want you to, if you're making notes, write down 3 John 1.4. Just 3 John 1.4. Listen to what the Father whispers to your heart today. First, 3 John 1.4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Listen, listen, that, that, if you, if you read that, you need to read it about five times to the point you go, whoa, whoa. God just said through the pen of John that his greatest joy is for his children to walk in truth. His greatest joy. Don't you listen to me. I'm almost done. Just listen for a second. Get this concept. This is a concept. Your Heavenly Father loves you completely. He's probably got your picture on his refrigerator. He thinks you're really something. He sees you through Christ. He doesn't see you the way you see you and you think, why, well, you know, who saved a wretch like me? Yes, you were a wretch, but you're saved. And you're somebody in Jesus Christ. You're a child of the king. You're king's kid this morning. That ought to put a spring in your step. And glory. And when you start beating yourself up, you almost hear the Lord say, hey, don't, don't, don't be beating up my child. That's, you're my child. All of that's true. He loves you more than you can com comprehend. You can never comprehend. You won't eternally comprehend how much he loves you. But when you walk in truth, it gives him greater joy. Whew. Mmm. Mmm. Good. <laughs> Eternal gospel. I'm sorry. I, I think I step out from under my anointing. Okay. Eternal gospel truth brings us freedom, leads us to salvation, and empowers us for worship. It is therefore essential for us as Christians to know what we believe, to know why we believe it, and to walk in what we believe, which is exactly why our pastor every week before we recite together the Apostles' Creed says, Christian, what do you believe and for what are you willing to die? Now listen, that, he's not just saying that. It's because we're reciting references to gospel truth, the Word of God, the truth of God. And let me just say this. If there's part of the Apostles' Creed when you, when you read it or when you say it that you say, I don't quite understand what that means, please go to Parker. I'm sure he would love to sit down and explain it to you. It would just give him joy to to say, well, I'm glad you asked that, and this and this, and this came from here in this scripture. That's sound stuff. Let me just say this in closing, and I'm not quite done, but I almost am. You know what it means when a minister looks at his watch? <laughs> By the way, I forgot one. Uh, nothing. I went back to my home church where I grew up. I grew up as a Baptist, and uh, 
and then my eyes were open. <laughs> uh, but I grew up as a Baptist, and I was asked to preach the homecoming at my home church 50 years later, just a couple years ago. I know, I know. I really am over 50. I know, I know. Doesn't look it. But, but here's the deal. The, what I wanted to impart in, to them, and I did in the sermon, was something along these lines. When I was growing up here, not because of failures of Sunday school teachers, pastors, parents, any, anyone and everyone involved, but I didn't know what I knew. I didn't know what I was supposed to know. I didn't know what I was not supposed to know. I, I did not know what was important in the Christian life. And I said, but I do now. And I'm going to tell you. And I, had, I recited the Apostles' Creed verbatim to them. And I thought, well, you've heard it. Pray to know that you 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 know the truth. Such assurance emboldens us for Christ. I close with Paul's declaration from 2 Timothy, and by the way, it's the song we're getting ready to sing. So sing it like you mean it. He says in 2 Timothy 1.12, and now this is the King James because that fits the song. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know, you heard that? I know, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Before we sing, let us pray, asking our Heavenly Father by His Word and His Spirit to grant us a deeper persuasion of His truth. Heavenly Father, anything I said out of the flesh today won't last till it gets to the front door. But the scripture that I read today will not fail. It will not fall to the ground. It will not falter. It is strong, and it is Your Word, and it is eternal. Father, we rejoice in your Holy Spirit being present here this morning. We rejoice in Jesus Christ's Lordship and the fact that through Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can worship you singing, praying, preaching, fellowshipping in all that we do to the glory of God. Father, help us to know the truth. Give us a greater love for your word. Your word says, great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing will trip them up. Father, can I ask this morning that you would give that same great peace to every person in the sound of my voice, electronically or in presence, that they would walk with the peace of God on their feet and the gospel message of Jesus Christ in their heart. May others see Jesus in us. In his name, amen. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.